Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today, very exciting, the founder that we have, someone that has uh, done quite of his career at Google. You know, you name it, all the different departments, and now he's doing it on his own, building his own company. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, and his name is Barun Talwar. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So born in Delhi, in New Delhi there in India. So how was life growing up in, in New Delhi? Life was great. I did all my schooling there uh, all the way from uh, my parents are still living there so born and raised there modern busy city with uh, lots of people <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah it was uh, like being raised in a you know any busy competitive asian city and of course and of course just like uh, any other indian entrepreneur that i meet computer science you know it's like you guys are born with a degree under your arm i mean what's what why is that the case you know it's a interesting i mean in a competitive uh developing economy like you know india china people opt for careers more out of what will give them jobs and success and uh, there is less time spent on like finding your true cause and your true passions um so for me it was a little bit of a mixed bag um of mix of both uh some was always good at math uh in my schooling time so obviously that led to math and sciences in high school my elder brother had done that so i had seen some exposure to that and you know the third thing was just this is remember this is the era of where you know the internet and internet services was was booming in the country. So there was all this, you know, euphoria around high tech and IT at that time. So I think a combination of those led me to picking computer science. Got it. So you did the undergrad, then the master's. And, and something that was interesting is that at the master's, you did a little bit of a combination of being in Singapore, being in MIT in Boston. Uh, but But essentially, you ended up in Singapore. I mean, why did you start your career really and, and, and pushing things forward there as opposed to doing it here in the U.S. with the American dream. Yeah, I'm actually very happy that happened in my life um, because, 
So I, I went to this program called Singapore MIT Alliance. Uh, it was a sec- it was a very new program. Like it started a year before I joined, and it was a joint initiative between NUS in Singapore and MIT in Boston. And believe it or not, even in two thousand two, when we did it, they had live video broadcasting education from MIT into Singapore, uh, including audio video zooming in to uh, professors and lectures. Like we had a hall where 30 of us could each had a desk. We could press a button. The camera would zoom into us. They can hear and see us. Then we can release and it would zoom out. This was, this was available bandwidth-free, latency-free in 2002. And that was a great experience. Uh, for one, from that perspective, and having great uh, prof- each course was co-taught by one from NUS, one from MIT. So it was a good mix and exposure. Uh, and there were literally like 30 students handpicked from uh, Asia and it was all paid for, very important. <laughs> uh, so the other great part about that was really because of the mix of the people and this uh, multinational, multicultural thing, uh, we actually got to interact with a lot of students from other parts of Asia. So like people from China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Sri Lanka, like a whole bunch of people from Asia came together. Uh, for that program and you know Singapore itself is a melting pot uh, of like a whole lot of uh, people from Asia so uh, it was very enriching in in that sense and um, also so you know sowed the seeds of entrepreneurship there in that course. So then in in your case uh, you went back to India eventually and that's a pivotal moment for you and for your career because that's the moment that you also joined Google. So, uh, I mean, we're talking about Google 2007 uh, and, uh, you know, really like getting, expanding there in India. You know, I'm sure it was quite an exciting time as well. Uh, so how was, how was that experience of joining Google? I mean, how do you land in Google and, and what was that Google, you know, back in 2007 there in India? Yeah, uh, that was fun times. So Google started in India in 2006. So it was really early when I joined, 2007. We had like all of like 30 people, I think, which was Google India. And uh, we were really trying to launch products and services for the Indian market. So we were trying to figure out like if search and local languages needs to be shipped. Back in the day, if you remember, there was this social product called Orkut. Yeah. Uh, This is way before Facebook and it actually worked only in two markets, India and Brazil. and uh, But it was really popular there. We were trying to figure out what to do about, you know, maps and local search and all that, right? So that was the stage when I joined and I joined my first project out there was uh, local search and maps. And um, so it was a very small team. Uh, we were well pampered and we were, we we, we had uh, one, one interesting story there is like there were, uh, in Google style, there was a not just food and other stuff there, but you actually had, you know, butlers and ser- people sort of serving you, <laughs> so you could raise your hand in a desk and get food served to you on the desk, which was fun. Um, but there was uh, really much more uh, exciting things were happening in market and in product. So my first thing was trying to figure out how to actually improve local search. Right when we had no good local data. And uh, 
you know it was uh, as you know india is like a uh, prepaid economy so all the numbers and cell phone numbers kept changing uh, every so every now and then the maps uh, was a challenge because the roads are not labeled the lat longs were not available um, so driving directions was hard so there was all these challenges that i that i walked into which was super exciting you know to take the all the engineering muscle of a company like google but apply it to the local context and and make it useful and and in your case i mean you did you did jump quite a bit you know within google mm-hmm. and your next uh, chapter was was youtube so tell us about for example like putting together the biggest live stream uh and together and then also what was that journey of or that transition of going from india to to landing in in the bay area yeah so it was funny i um i started tinkering with youtube just out of um, you know watching more bollywood <laughs> uh, out of in uh, in google so it's like okay like this is this this big behemoth thing that's growing and there's so much content there and uh, youtube wasn't formally launched in india like there was no youtube.in uh, so really the youtube interest started there um, we started uh, we launched that uh, we signed a bunch of content deals with uh, bollywood content providers uh, had you know lots of interesting stories of meeting those personalities and studios there uh, to get that off the ground and that's what led me to live streaming which is um, you know there is this thing called IPL which is the super bowl of india uh, cricket which is uh, one of the four content religions right. as it I mean, said it's like probably like yeah. basketball in the us yeah so if you're in content business in india there is a there is a term called abcd that's what you have to cover uh, astrology bollywood cricket and devotional um and if you cover those then you've covered what people want right. so that's what we were after um and uh, you know it was a time when uh, there was a lot of demand for it and it was not easy easily available so we signed that deal and uh, um put that together on youtube you know the we sold all that inventory to advertisers really marketed that and uh, it was a super successful event and that led to like you know significant increase of audience in youtube and monthly uniques before and after uh, and that caught the attention of uh, you know everyone in youtube headquarters as well and uh, an interest grew to form a team here and that's what led me to san bruno in 2011 and obviously that was um, a pretty big move for you because then after you you made that move then you switched to the team of google cloud but that eventually will become the segue into you launching your own business your own baby titrate so so why don't you tell us about how you came about, you know, against the the problem, uh, and how you saw that you could put a, you could put a gap into that problem and perhaps bringing you know that solution to life that would eventually become launching Tetrate into the into the market. So what was what were those sequence of events? Yeah. So you know, after five years of YouTube, I wanted to Google. Was investing heavily in cloud, public cloud, as as we know it, and um, I wanted to really figure out, you know, what's uh, why is it growing and uh, what's happening there. My and I happened to come into 
my first project was uh, Google Cloud Marketplace, and then I took on additional role for an internal uh, project, which was called Stubby. Now, for for those of the you know technical people here, you know, uh, Stubby is the is the internal RPC layer for Google. What what that means is, you know, anytime any call comes to any Google service, it internally is is uh, fulfilled using Stubby. So all of the service to service calls are are fulfilled with that. And um, you know, it was a very technical technically oriented team and project, and uh, it had been running for maybe. I want to say 15 years. And uh, the strategy for Google Cloud was also, was always being like an open cloud, right? So uh, take the technologies into open source and have developers uh, love, and, love and use those technologies and then give a managed versions of those into Google Cloud, which will get people to Google Cloud. So that was sort of the strategy for the, for the division. And as part of that, we ended up deciding to build the next version of Stubby in the open source, and that was called gRPC. Uh, and uh, that really gave me the first learnings into what do developers care about, uh, what is uh, what are the challenges in building microservices, uh, why is it hard for organizations to deploy polyglot microservices, and give like uniform features to developers, and um, that really gave me a lot of insight. And we had a lot of good, uh, you know, experience of people using it from all the way from small companies to medium size to as large as like, you know, Netflix and Ubers of the world. So um, that was the beginning of like figuring out uh, why connecting applications, connecting services is difficult. And uh, why developer productivity is so critical and useful if you can offload all of the difficult tasks of these connectivity into a different platform. So the way uh, to think about this is, um, you know, if you're building an application, right, there are two parts to it. You write what is actual core to the business application. And the second side is all the ancillary things that go into it, like uh, you know, authentication, authorization, uh, failure handling, monitoring, tracing, routing. These are all things that every application has to do, but it's not core to what their purpose is in terms of the business function. And really, what you know, things like uh, gRPC, and now we'll get into you know, the next thing I did, which was Istio, what they do is they offload all this so that the developer doesn't have to do them, right? And it's a simple concept like that, which but the, the impact it has is humongous. Now, imagine you have in an organization thousands of applications, and, you know, let's say each of them has 10 developers, and so how much time is being uh, put in by each of them in building all these capabilities differently in a different way in different language libraries in each of these applications and now imagine a state where all of none of them have to do any of that work 
and it's all done in a consistent way, in a platform way, which can easily be changed via configuration. So that is like night and day in terms of uh, before and after of what's possible. And I personally saw that that in terms of, um, you know, why is uh, why were Google engineering teams so productive? Because they would just, all of this was built in as infrastructure for them, right? And it wasn't available to the outside world. And um, coupled with that is what is happening in the market and sort of the tailwinds. So the adoption of, you know, hybrid and multi-cloud, the adoption of microservices where applications are getting distributed and they're getting deployed in different places. And uh, with that, all that common cross-cutting logic that I talked about becomes even harder. So it's even harder for developers to actually build that given what's going on. And uh, the third thing was, in the timing-wise, was like the rise of containers and Kubernetes. So that was uh, happening at the same time. And all the feedback from the Kubernetes community was they need something like this uh, from the networking layer. So I think those coupled together is what sort of makes this very relevant in terms of timing in the market and uh, how Tetrate got started. And uh, really after gRPC, we conceptualized Istio, which was sort of solving uh, the problem of, you know, uh, observing, connecting, securing all these different services, but using proxy-based approaches. And, you know, it turned out to be a pretty good uh, success. And uh, what led me to uh, Tetrate is then uh, the realization that there is a need for this platform to everybody wanted when I, when we first launched Istio, uh, and I stayed back for like you know eight nine months after launching that. Met a lot of customers and users who said, "I want this, and I want this where I'm running, and I want this in my you know environment, and in my comp- uh, for my applications." And uh, it should work seamlessly for all my applications. You know, listening to that again and again made me feel that uh, there is this need for uh, a platform that has to exist to enable this, which is which doesn't live in a, a cloud provider or a compute provider or any given specific platform. It lives independently. So, so then in that case, what, what ended up becoming the business model? I mean, how do you guys make money at Titri? Yeah, so I mean, today's business model is pretty standard. It's uh, sort of software selling. It's uh, three things that we offer. One is uh, uh, a distribution for the open source project. Second is an uh, you know an actual software that you can install and use, so standard licensing. And uh, third is uh, which is a newer offering, which is the SaaS model, which is you know, the same sort of platform, but uh, pay as you consume. And how much capital have you guys raised to date? To date, we have raised uh, 52.5 million with two rounds, uh, A and B. Very cool. And uh, I mean, I'm sure that the that on the fundraising and the investor relations, I mean, you've, you've learned quite a bit. I mean, what, what have you learned about more specifically about investor relations, managing expectations and making sure that the communication is clear with these stakeholders. Yeah, that's a very important topic as we as I've taken the journey from uh, being a product manager and then turning into an entrepreneur. 
I mean, the biggest thing is to be honest and authentic with the investors and uh, telling them exactly where you are, what you need, and making them a part of it. I think a lot of entrepreneurs keep them at a distance and keep that as a, like, I will come and report to you what's going on, um, as opposed to making them a part of the company, almost an extended part of the company, um, and actually having them work uh, to, you know, fulfill whatever gaps there are at any given at that stage right and it could be anywhere from um, you know people we need to hire customers we need to uh, look out for you know a PR agency we need to get uh, or you know tools we need to buy for our internal operations it could be any any of these you know usual business functions things but you know make them part and parcel of the company they actually uh, all good investors actually like that, right? They want to be, they want to help you to grow their investments, and um, so as long as we and we were fortunate to have really, really good uh, investors and board members, at least so far, uh, Touchwood, and uh, we made we've kept them close to the company than than away, and um, that and, way they. And one thing that that I thought it was really interesting here is that. Part of those investors that you've gotten and you've gotten them, you know, early on is a lot of strategic investors. So meaning larger corporations that have a, a venture capital arm where they deploy the investments. I mean, you, you, you've onboarded people like Samsung, Dell, Intel. So what was the reasoning behind getting that, uh, you know, group, that collective group of, of large corporations? Yeah. So... <clears throat> I mean, one, you know, these large, we are selling into enterprise and these companies understand the most in terms of what is happening there, right? Uh, from their own uh, strategic point of view, as well as um, uh, helping us in terms of appealing to uh, prospective enterprises, right? So, Look, we, me and, uh, you know, my co-founder, we are both from technology background, you know, uh, web scale. I'm from Google. He's from Twitter. So we, we hadn't done like enterprise, enterprise selling before. So we wanted somebody who will fulfill that gap uh, when we bring on our first investors and, and board members, right? And I think that's an important lens to use how to pick investors, right? We were lucky that we had the option to pick. Uh, I know not you know not everybody gets that, but if you do, if you are fortunate that you have the option to pick, uh, pick for you know, of course people. I mean, first and foremost, I, I I'm a big believer of picking based on the partner, not the firm. Like you're picking people, uh, because you'll end up you know living, breathing with them. And second, find the people and the firm which sort of complements the skill you need in the company building, not just like the brand of the firm or the money they are giving you uh, or, you know, the terms they are giving. And a lot of times people optimize for that. But I think if you're truly trying to build a company where, you know, all the skills are on the table, then, then you know, that is uh, useful. So in our case, we found that in Dell and that they led our Series A. 
for our uh, series B, uh, we ended up uh, picking Sapphire uh, and Jay in particular because again, um, there we needed you know someone with the deeper pockets who was willing to go long distance with us. Uh, second, understands the domain that we are in. And, you know, Jay and Sapphire have seen a lot of companies go all the way from start of open source based start and all the way to IPO, like multiple times in infrastructure space. Um, so that made a lot of sense. And uh, third, in that, again, in the spirit of like what company will need, company will need that experience of taking that company to that scale and also, you know, reach to uh you know, executives, CIOs, and enterprise execs, and that also is something they actually excel in. So again, you know, picking the right firm that uh, brings those things that you will need in your journey is is how we ended up making those selections. And um, I think, but on a lot of these VC arms of these companies actually operate quite independent from the actual corporate. Uh, so they end up or like pretty much operating like like venture cap you know yeah, um like institutional venture yeah, yeah, yeah. got it uh, and uh, it's just that they are you know so so some of it is coincidence as well and some of it is by design we handpicked of course so i guess um, imagine that you go to sleep tonight varun and you wake up in a world where the vision of titrate is is fully realized what does that world look like mm, good question so I mean, we are some level uh, reimagining what internet would be for enterprises in terms of uh, their application traffic, right? So another way to say that is what the view world looks like. View of the world looks like is that all the companies have uh, this this platform magically available as a SaaS or on-prem doesn't matter, and uh, they just all the developers just bring in their applications and workloads uh, onboarded to this platform. And all the tough aspects that I was talking about, uh, observability, security, routing, resiliency, authentication, all of that is is available magically for them, taken care of. And uh, it's they don't have to do any of the hard work of building any of that. And, be it any kind of applications deployed in any private, public uh, data center or cloud, and any compute, containers, non-containers. And uh, they just come in and say, discover what is running there, whatever they've deployed, and they manage their applications there in terms of what is happening, what are the performance bottlenecks, where is it not secure, um, how to make them resilient, and it's this, they can just, you know, that all magically works. And they can just keep onboarding new applications at a faster pace, at the same time keeping all the applications reliable and secure. Right. And this was this goes back to like often people ask, like, how come you know Google is always up <laughs> reliable and secure, right? Like people ask that question all the time. Yeah. In fact, you know, people use their Google.com as 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 a benchmark of like if their internet is working, right? Uh, because they can foresee that to be down, but not Google to be down, right? Yeah. Uh, so how come that at that scale they're so available all the time, 
and somebody you know smaller businesses in terms of comparative scale you know uh, e-commerce companies and all like you will often find sorry we're, we're you know we're we're down for maintenance yeah and you know so how can you give that kind of availability to everybody and how can you give that kind of security like if you think normal like businesses get you know uh, attempts to hack or you know x for a normal business like every day google used to get like 100x of those attacks right um but they are continue to be secure and reliable all the time so the goal is to give that kind of uh, experience to all the companies and imagine if i was to tell you that i'm transporting you back in time mm-hmm. and i'm taking you back to that moment where you were thinking about tetrate and and perhaps you know bringing tetrate to life based on your experience now and what you know and what you've you know done you know learned and and all of that during this journey with tetrate what would be that one piece of business advice that you would give to your younger self before launching tetrate and why given what you know now in you know it's all about people so invest in people relationships and you know really try to understand hiring and how to get other people to do the work the vision that you have right and uh, that one thing is comes at the core by first connecting to people understanding their you know not just their skills but their personality ambition uh, discipline cultural values and being able to you know relate to that and figuring out and and really being authentic ourselves by being opening up to them so then they open up to you and forming that bond i think that's the key that that is the thing that you have to do with all your you know investors your leadership team your employees you bring on board and um, that is the way you know work really gets gets done and that's a thing that you know often in as you're working as an employee in a big company you don't end up investing enough in yeah um right and um, that's the core to uh you know how to uh, how to hire how to build organization uh how to figure out where are the gaps in the organization who is a right fit who is not a right fit and you know that part trumps um and who is bring coming up with the right values and who you can trust and you know that trumps a, a lot of technical things when it comes to you know building organizations and companies absolutely well varun that was very profound for the people that are listening what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi well i'm uh, yeah very reachable um there on twitter at uh, @varunkyan v a r u n g y a n or i'm on linkedin or of course at tetrate we are on www.tetrate.io or at @tetrate.io on twitter amazing well varun thank you so much for being on the deal maker show today thank you so much for having me if you like the show make sure that you hit that subscribe button if you could leave a review as well that would be fantastic and if you got any value either from this episode or from the show itself share it with a friend perhaps they also appreciate it so also remember that if you need any help whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business 
you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.